Three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, Would you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits Podcast, episode nine. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and essentially this is a podcast about, well, just about everything, guys, ranging from psychology and philosophy to nutrition to dating and back again. This week, myself and my very distinguished guest, who I'll introduce in a moment, will be discussing some incredibly thought-provoking topics, including free will and fate. Do we as human beings have free will? Is there any scientific basis to fate? And is astrology just bullshit, or is there any truth to it? It's the most valuable resource in the universe, time. Is there any objective view on time or is it truly subjective? Would there be time if we didn't measure it? And how can we combat the passage of time as our life flashes before our eyes? And finally, how do you live the best possible life? And is the nine to five lifestyle really the way to go? I'm really excited for this episode, guys. There's gonna be philosophy and religion and psychology and biology and physics and astrology. Might be the most diverse discussion we've ever had. All that and so much more on this week's episode of Nervous Habits. Anyway, guys, keep sending those emails into nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. Again, also on Instagram uh, at nervoushabitspodcast. Feel free to uh, shoot us, shoot me rather, those <laughs> those DMs. Um, I would like to now introduce my uh, guest, the one and only Mr. Uh, Jeremy Pactor. Jeremy? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be it's, here. He's not being compensated by, by his uh, first time, so this is all volunteer work, pro bono. Um, Jeremy and I have been friends a very long time, uh, really close friends in college, and you know, ever since, I've gotten a lot closer. Um, my, uh, my partner in crime here, freestyle rap buddy, we do pranks in Central Park. You've probably seen us doing uh, dares throughout all of New York, Boston, and half of Europe. And um, Jeremy is a uh, just to give you some background on you know where he's coming from. He's a professional soccer player, uh, also one of the most brilliant people I know. Holds a master's in electrical engineering from Columbia. Uh, my go-to guy to talk to about really anything ranging from like deep existential conversations to um, you know goofy like like you know uh, just just shooting the shit. So I think this is going to be a really exciting conversation to have with him, um, Jeremy. It's 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 an honor. Sounds good. Uh, I'm ready awesome. to get going. All right, ready, like, no, time no, is time, money. No, right? time, no time like the, play, like the yeah. present. Guys, so I want to start off with an age-old question, free will and predestination and fate. And this is something Jeremy and I have talked about a lot. You guys have probably talked about it in in you know college classes, uh, maybe at the bar. But do we as human beings have free will? And is there any scientific basis to fate? So to kind of open up this conversation, Jeremy, let me ask you a question. And just, just think about this very carefully. If I told you that I had a book right next to me, that had every chapter of your life written out. When you get married, when you have kid, kids, you know, uh, you know, when you complete different stages of your career, and when you die, would you want to read that book? Would you want to know when and how your life ends? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, but that's kind of the journey of life is to explore the world and learn as you go. I mean, that would just like take away all the fun and all the excitement of what's to come next, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would say no as well. Um, but this this idea is essentially the concept of fate. The idea that when we're born, our life is written, it's set in stone. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. So, like, let, let me, you know, uh, again, as a way of introducing this concept, let me tell you about one of my favorite movies. Um, I don't know if you if you've seen it. It's called Minority Report. I have not. It was that movie with Tom Cruise in the 2000s. And essentially, the movie is about this futuristic world where there's something called pre-crime. It's a division of the police department that apprehends criminals based on the knowledge that they're going to eventually commit a crime. So these three psychics, they're known as, as precognitives, precogs, they tell the police department who will commit a crime and the person's arrested for murder before the murder can take place. So let's say you were planning to kill me and like, you know, you, you, you were, it was premeditated, you were, you know, about to go through it, then you were arrested as if you had already killed me. This is off the record. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this begs the question, guys, can the precogs be wrong? Can you actively defy their prediction if you know you're about to do it? Like in that, in that scenario, if you're about to like kill me, but you don't kill me and then you're arrested for it, like how do you know what if you found out that what the precognitives were predicting 
So this is what was depicted in the movie. And, you know, I don't want to ruin it, but essentially the guy who founded pre-crime, this guy Burgess, is predicted by the precogs to kill Tom Cruise's character, Tom Anderton, who works at pre-crime. There's a great scene at the end where Burgess has a gun on Anderton. And Anderton is asking him what he should do. If he kills Anderton, he proves pre-crime is always right. But if he doesn't, he proves he has free will. In the end, you know, again, spoiler alert, fast forward a minute. But he, in the end, he kills himself as a way of kind of like defying the system and defying free will. But to me, that's like a nice uh, artistic depiction of, of the dilemma that we're facing. Um, and before we can make a case for either fate or free will, I want to explore both sides. I want to explore free will for a moment through, you know, a scientific lens. Jeremy will bring some physics. I'll talk about psychology, biology. In terms of free will, philosophers have argued for years whether we do or we don't have free will. In psychology, psychologists point to factors outside of a person that determine how they act. Like for Freud, you know, unconscious design, uh, desires um, that determine how we're going to act in any given situation. For Skinner, environmental contingencies. From a biological perspective, academics believe that the brain is no more free to decide anything than other organs, like the, the liver or the stomach. So geneticists think that, you know, the gene environment interactions will determine outcomes. So for example, I don't know if, if, if you've read about this, but this guy Van Roykel found in his experiments that girls with a specific oxytocin receptor gene felt more lonely in the presence of judgmental friends than did girls without the gene, indicating that what we believe is free will is just determined by our biology and our genetics. So does that sound like, you know, a credible evidence to you that free will might be kind of uh, a fallacy or does that sound like we're trying to fit uh, you know square uh, around uh, square peg into a round hole yeah well well I think that before we can answer that we need to discuss what is free will I mean mm -hmm. I know that there's also been an experiment where they had a guy in a room hooked up to an EEG machine which reads your brain your brain waves and they said whenever you want please push this button have you have you seen this? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, this is actually yeah, yeah. A great one. But, 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 ahead, what, but what I'm trying show? to say is that they were able to determine that the guy was going to click the button before he did. Exactly. So, so what? What that? You know. So what? What are we talking about when we're talking about free will? So if your brain is already broadcasting your action, does that mean that you ha that you don't have free will, or does that mean that subconsciously? you're going to act this way, which means you do have free will. Like, is your subconscious linked to your free will? Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, I mean, we have to kind of narrow down, are we talking about the conscious decision to act or the action itself? Because to your point, it, it might just be the, the brain processes that, um, you know, demonstrate the decisions being made before it's being made. Um, but that, I mean, that that's an interesting experiment. Uh, and, and I was going to talk about that, but... Um, there's another one that talks about something very similar. It's by this guy, Ben Lee Bay. And Jeremy, very similar to what you said, um, he essentially had these participants um, move their arm. You might have heard of this one too. It's, it's very similar. And he scanned their brains. They did an, a, a functional magnetic resonance imaging scan and said, move your arm. And again, as you said, the brain activity increased even before they were aware of their decision to move your arm, right? Like we have coffees in front of them. Uh, and I said, Jeremy, do you want to pick up your coffee? Are you going to pick up your coffee? Before you even decide if you're going to, like I can see what decision you're making. So Lee Bay interpreted this to mean that, you know, when the brain decides to make the movement, the person only becomes consciously aware of the decision after it's made. So what does this mean for Absolutely. free will, Jeremy? It means that our behavior is controlled by neurobiology and free will may not exist. We might be slaves to our genes. I mean, it, it, I mean, what, what's your perspective on that? I mean, that to me, to be honest, that's actually what I believe. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I mean, it ties a lot into actually the discussion of time we're going to get to. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of physics and laws of physics involved that lead me to believe that there is no free will. And I know that's like an upsetting conclusion, but I, that's what I think. Um, I think that we could, I mean, one, one way to think about it is that people are obviously very complex. And um, I think that, you know, like we have like trillions of particles and but at, at the root of it, we're, we're just that. And I think that if you were to if you were able to take into account the initial conditions of every person, like where they were born, uh, what their parents are like, what their upbringing is like, their environment. And you're able to kind of like assign a probability that based on their actions, that, that what they were going to take, um, you could pretty well model someone's life mm. at, on a computer simulation. You could to actually I, I would argue Given a powerful enough computer, you could probably almost 100% 
to say every decision they'll make in any circumstance because because you kind of form this identity of who you are it's almost like machine learning and ai right mm. you kind of get like uh you, you the, the the program learns as it's executed so i think people are kind of like that i mean you hear that all the time Pe- babies being compared to learning machines you know they're everything they see they're taking in all this stuff and you can kind of like based on all these things we just talked about even how much the kid is loved i mean you could kind of for every single decision they make every outcome you could potentially model it to to pretty high accuracy that's incredible i want to make sure our listeners really you know understand what you just said there you can model every every possible outcome of someone's life based on having a computer simulation and any any decision it's almost like i'm visualizing a, t- a tree like a like a, a genetics tree and like if they you know if 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 they're x or y then you know then it you know leads to this a or b you know what i'm saying so it's what would it be billions of possible outcomes but much more than that but <laughs> but um but you would be able to kind of understand like like essentially there's a finite number right or, right, or there is a finite it, number of, of outcomes based on number. right possible simulations I, I just want to mention um another study here that uh really shed some light on free will so two psychologists back in 2002 Kathleen Vos and Jonathan Schooler conducted an experiment to find out what would happen if people lost belief in free will. So a moment ago, Jeremy said, I know it's depressing to think about, you know, uh, a world without free will, but what would happen if people just didn't believe in it? So there were two groups in this study, guys. One group read a passage arguing that free will was just an illusion. The other group read a passage that was neutral on the idea of free will. And after this, they subjected the members of both groups to a variety of temptations and they observed their behaviors. The question is, would the differences in their abstract philosophical beliefs influence their decisions? What do you think right off the right off the bat? Do you have the group that argues free will is an illusion? They read that passage, and then a passage that's neutral on free will, and then they, they have temptations. You know, they um, they essentially you know give them a math test where it's easy to cheat, or give them an envelope of coins where it's easy to steal. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great study, and I would be sure that that makes a big difference on what their actions are. Yeah. I think um, it gives them also an excuse to do things. I said, well, that well, that's exactly what happened. Jeremy's like, in the when asked to take a test where che- cheating is possible, the group primed to see free will as an illusion was more likely to cheat than the group whose passage exactly. was neutral. When given an opportunity to steal, to take more money than, than was due from the envelope, the passage whose you know, free will is fake was more likely to steal than the other one. So with this study in mind, you could argue that free will is necessary to a functioning society. We need to believe that we're in control of our actions because if we didn't believe that, you know, what would happen? I mean, in, in a similar study, the same guy Vos examined the performance of laborers who believed in free will versus those who didn't. And what they found was people who believed they were in control of their actions were rated higher by supervisors and performed better on the job. This is again, very intuitive, right? You believe that you're in control of what you're doing and you know, the results are gonna speak for themselves. So. Essentially, what the research shows on free will is biologically, genetically, psychologically, physiologically, there is lots of evidence that indicates that we are not completely in control of the decisions we make. I know you want to speak about the physics perspective on that as well, but that's what the other sciences—you know—what the other sciences indicate about that. And and to touch on what you said, I mean, that people, if they didn't think they had free will, they, I mean, they would be miserable. I think we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. We live in this society where we're trying to get to the top of the ladder to attract mates or, you know, procreate or all of that. So if you didn't believe it was in your control to, to move to move up, then you would kind of sit back and become depressed. I mean, we need purpose. We need drive in mm. life. And without, you know, this belief that you're in control of your own life, you're kind of stagnant. Absolutely. So, yeah. so for all the listeners out there, it's even if you don't believe in free will, it's good to act as if you do. That's that's interesting. Okay, and we're going to talk about. Excuse me. We're going to talk in a moment about about fate and how that might influence your actions as well. But it might be a. It might be almost to. I don't want to say like delude yourself, but to act with the expectation that you're in control of your actions just to bring about the best possible outcome. Right. Um, it's in your it's in your benefit to do that. But uh, anything else you want to add on free will b- before we do pivot to fate? Um, no, I mean, I think that this is going to be a very free-form episode because a lot of the topics we're covering are, are like, like intricately connected. right? So Absolutely. we're going to keep coming back to time, keep coming back to free will 
as we get you know more information out there but yeah so let's move on yeah so so essentially you know when we talk about fate i i have to kind of preface this actually there is one more thing I all right l- l- let's sorry, hear, sorry let's hear really quick like yeah gonna edit this guy out <laughs> one more yeah one more interesting thing to think about is that we are simply just like a, a combination of like different particles like trillions of particles right so from a physics perspective if you could model the state of each particle you could understand exactly what's going on with the person. Now, that's very difficult because there's so many particles and you have to be able to perfectly model how they interact with each other. But at the end of the day, I mean, again, this is like the question of like, is there a soul and all that stuff? I mean, if if you believe that we are simply, you know, electrons and particles and, and basically that's it and everything can be made up from that, then you could get on board with the idea that if you knew the state of every particle at a given moment, you could accurately describe the the whole in, interwoven system. Mm-hmm. So you're saying the particles that make up a, a human being? Yeah, the, the actual particles. What state are they in? So, so I mean, is this it, so? Is this like like biochemistry? I'm trying to write. I don't have the same like background that Jeremy does. So when you talk about the, the state of a particle, so you're saying like in, in the brain, you have like you know billions of neurons. Right. So billions of neurons contain like hundreds of trillions of particles, right? And they're yeah. all acting in sync to right. produce like thoughts system. and actions. So you're saying modeling each of those particles, atoms that make up the neurons and the other cells yeah. in the body could tell us about the decisions that we make. What state are they in? What are they what other particles are they interacting with? Um, what location are they? Got you. What's their speed that they're traveling? I mean all these things are very simple when you look at them one on one, but when you, as soon as you build out to a huge to a system of many of them, it's really difficult. But again, like given a strong enough computer with enough processing power, I think it's possible. Okay. So I wanna I wanna turn to uh, t- turn to fate, and and you know when we talk about fate, definitely it's important to note that there are secular arguments and there are religious arguments. For the secular arguments, a lot of them come down to biological predeterminism, which we spoke about earlier. The idea that all the all our actions are consequences of our biology, and so there's minimal margin for human autonomy. Now, some people believe in astronomical or cosmological concepts of fate. To what degree does the movement of heavenly bodies predetermine our future? This is similar to astrology, right? The position of celestial objects being powerful indicators of our lives. This is like horoscopes. And I, I don't know, like at first glance, like, do, what, what's always been your take on horoscope? Because I've never really believed it. I, th- huh. I think it's like, uh, was that? There's one phenomenon, um, uh, the P.T. Barnum effect, I think, in psychology, where sounds like a ship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the P.T. Barnum. Where like, where like, when you go to a psychic, they just speak in generalities that apply to everyone. Yeah. I, but do you? Are you a believer in astrology? Nope. No. Nope. But, nope. but nope. okay. But it's funny. So I, my whole life, I've you know been on board with. That's ridiculous. They're just saying things that you can read it and think that perfectly describes me. Yeah. But at the same time. I will say I was uh, dating this girl, and I hope she's not listening. Yeah. But um, they she was talking with her friend about you know like all these astrology things, and I and I was like, I'll humor it. Like, what does it say about me? And it was like a little accurate. I was yeah. Surprised. Well, it's funny. Yeah. Funny you say that because I'm also not a believer in a, in astrological fate. But for what it's worth, I, I did a little research for this episode. So I'm a Taurus. Jeremy's a Virgo, right? May and August. And here's what the horoscopes say about our friendship compatibility. So it says, guys, a friendship between a Taurus and a Virgo. And tell me if this sounds accurate to you. It's a friendship of realism where both signs are rational, practical, well-disciplined, and have high standards. Virgos admire Taurus's force and commitment, and Taurus admire Virgo's mental prowess. A Taurus-Virgo relationship gets better and better over time. Taurus might fail to understand Virgo's critical nature and take it personally. Oh my God. <laughs> Virgo, Virgo might dislike the obstinacy of Taurus, but could end up accepting the nature of Taurus. Isn't that like amazingly accurate? Like literally, I, I, I like read it. I was like, shit, that's us. I like, know. To a team. But anyways, the point is, and, and um, I don't, I don't know what, what, what the, what the basis of the position of celestial objects has to do with, with our fate in this respect. But there's something to it, and maybe this might be something to explore deeper in a different episode. But, but maybe someone, if we have like an expert on there on, on horoscopes, could uh, in, interpret that. Because I don't know, man. Some of these predictions are pretty, pretty good, pretty good, and even personality traits. I mean, it, it did pretty well. In yeah, me. I was really so, surprised. So that's the secular view of, of fate, and you know, when we talk about fate and religion, there's a couple paradoxes here that I, I, I just I want to note um, 
Number one, and these are things that you've heard of before, Jeremy. Number one, if there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God, does he himself have free will? That's something that, that I want you guys to ponder. And number two, if he does have free will, how can we? Because think about it for a moment. If there is an all-knowing being that's aware of everything we do before we do it, how can we be making our own decisions? The existence of an all-powerful God is incompatible with the idea that we have free will. You, you, you understand? Is that, is that what all-powerful means? I mean, does it mean that... All-knowing, like omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing. Yeah, so. Like, right. But, so I'm not arguing, and I don't want anyone to think we're arguing against religion. We're just exploring this open-endedly. interesting question. Before we talk about fate, I just, I have to put the incompatibility out there. How can there be an all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient God and how and us still have free will? Because Jeremy mentioned before, there's a computer simulation that models every decision before we make. Before we make, isn't that what God could be? God could yeah. be th this computer simulation that no. So, do you have any any response to that? Like right off, because that that seems like a difficult conundrum to wrap your mind around when you think about fate from a religious context. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm. I'm I think that's a great question. I know that some listeners out there will say that's not really the right category of question to ask. Mm -hmm. For example, th there's another question that, that a lot of people don't like that's like, if God can like create an um, immovable force, can he move it? I mean, stuff like that. God can create an immovable force. Can oh, I see what stuff you mean. Stuff like that. I mean, it's like one of those like grammar type things or syntax. Semantics, semantics yeah. right. But, um, and I mean, I think, I do think that there's an, an incompatibility there or else or there's a lacking in our understanding um yeah it's really and here's another here's another problem here is and and this is this is another you know thing when you think about the philosophy of religion the problem of evil which is if god created the world why would he create evil and i was actually talking about this with jeremy's mob earlier wendy yeah. who's, who's going to be one of our, our great listeners but one of the counter arguments is you can't have good without evil or because we have free will so i want you guys to be thinking about these questions as we challenge the idea of fate in a religious context because there, there's no right answer, right? Like these are just these are just things that you know you have to debate internally, externally, and grapple with if you accept fate. So the idea, you know, when we think about religious views, is that we're all endowed by our Creator, and from the moment we're born, our entire lives are written. So imagine this for for a moment, Jeremy. Your mom delivers you in 1992, and at that moment in time, right, when baby Jeremy Pactor emerge, emerges crying from the womb, his first word is probably like, nope, or probably yeah. like, dude, or boys. Uh, so he emerges crying from the womb. It's already decided at that moment that you're going to grow up to be a professional soccer player at age 26. You're going to be best friends with a baby born three months earlier in Brooklyn, uh, <laughs> Richard Rosen. You're going to get so married. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to ma get married at this age. You're going to live in this city. It's eerie thinking about that, isn't it? It's that eerie. that if if you if you believe in a religious fate, all of that stuff has already been determined at the moment that you're born. So, I mean, does that is that something that you can accept like that? Because you know, and we're going to speak about Judaism in a moment. But as you know, we were both born Jewish. That's similar to what the belief system of Judaism entails. Yeah, I mean, I actually feel completely comfortable with that idea. I mean, I've thought about it enough where. I, I, I believe it. Um, and again, like there, this, this will kind of cross over with the time discussion a bit, but I think that there are actual physics involved in, in describing that that's actually the case and that we just kind of interpret reality as if there's a progression of time mm. when in reality things just are or are not. And I, I mean, I'll get more into that. Yeah, later. yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so it has to do with our subjective interpretation of the way the time flows well, I mean, sequentially. As, as exactly, as human beings, we feel as though we're progressing through time. Right. But in reality, everything just is or is not. Okay, we're we're gonna get back to that. Hold 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 that thought hold for that. a moment. Yep. Hold it. Like, don't drop it though. So Jeremy and I, as I said, we're both Jewish, and Judaism believes in fate to a certain degree. So I'm I'm not a rabbi, Rabbi Rosen, but uh, essentially this is what I can get. This is what I can gather from Jewish <laughs> literature. Um, so Jews believe that that everything comes back to the marriage of your parents. The marriage of your parents determines your fate. Each marriage sets up an extremely complex chain of events leading to the conception of a child. So Karen and Jay Rosen and, um, and Wendy and John Pactor. Once a child is conceived, God proceeds to set up a chain of events that will lead to the child's marriage. So this chain of events is not binding though, right? So it's not like in the example I gave above where Jeremy's born and his whole life is determined. Essentially in Judaism, you have opportunities to better your life outcomes through merit, through prayer, through tzedakah, through mitzvah. Judaism prides itself on change. You can always better yourself and redeem yourself. That's why the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, is a day of reflection, atonement, redemption, repentance. So if you are on a bad course as a Jew, 
Your fate is not set in stone. You can commit to writing yourself through those things, through reflection and prayer, and you can change. <clears throat> you can change your fate, but you know the fate more or less is still predetermined. It's still written with little opportunities for you to, um, you know, to write yourself if you, you know, fall off the path. Does does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, do you have anything to add with, with Jews? Uh, like the, the most He's the Jewish expert over the, here. The most, yeah, the most soon to be rabbi. The, Rosen. The, the, the most pious man I know. We actually both went to Brandeis. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. Um, so that's the root of our friendship is Judaism. So guys, and then in other religions, in in uh, in Hinduism, there's not actually a concept of fate. It's called karma. And this isn't like karma in the general sense. Like if if someone screws you over, they go karma's gonna get him. Karma is a concept of causality where beneficial actions lead to beneficial effects, harmful actions lead to harmful effects. It's a cycle that continues forever through reincarnation. So karma is not fate because we're acting with conditioned free will and the totality of our actions creates our future. But similar to fate, um, karma is this all-encompassing force that will determine outside of your free will, outside of your control, you know, what... Um, you know, what the course of your life might look like. So you can see that, you know, Judaism and Hinduism and other religions, though very different, do have this, uh, this you know, subscription to the idea of a concept of predestination and fate. Um, so, you know, as we kind of round out our discussion on free will and predestination, I think the important takeaway is there, as much as you might want to believe in free will, whether you look at it from a scientific perspective, we talked about physics and biology and genetics, or a religious perspective, there are forces that are greater than us that you know are are determining the course of our lives. So, what are your what are your what are your final thoughts on that? Um, right. I mean, it's it's a it's a philosophical question. Yeah. But and it's also very heavily tied in religion, but. Again, like I think um, there's a lot to be said on the physics side of it, which we'll get to when we talk about time. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for, for sure. And, and the time discussion is is this might get a little bit difficult, so we're gonna try to um, try to make sure that you guys are, are following along because Jeremy's gonna bring in a lot of uh, probably re I'm guessing relativity, which I actually didn't plan on bringing up because I don't want to sound like an idiot. But when you talk about time. I think the most important place to start is how do we define it? Because time is just a word. Time is just a word that we're using to explain this concept. If you look at Wikipedia, you know Wikipedia says time is a component quantity of various measurements used to sequence events, compare the duration of events or the intervals between them, and to quantify rates of change of quantities in material reality or in the conscious experience. Huh. So if you're meeting an alien, let's say you you know travel to Mars, you know on on, uh, on SpaceX, Elon Musk. And you meet an alien. The alien is like, you know, what is time? Jeremy, like, how would you explain that concept if the yeah. alien had this primitive, like, way to communicate through English? How would you explain time to an alien? I would bring in memory, the idea of memory. So if we didn't have a memory, like, we couldn't remember what happened yesterday or two minutes ago, we wouldn't be aware of time. But the fact that we can, we feel as though we're progressing through something. So, you know, we, we remember that we've been having this conversation um, and the fact that, the fact that we, we can remember that shows that there's something going on, like the passage duration, right? Mm. Um, I also think that what's interesting is if you were to like watch like a baseball getting hit and leaving a ballpark, you could see this is appealing to Ricky. I know, like, like, like my, my eyes lit up a little bit. Yeah, I, mean, I, saw, he's I, mean, like, I got him now. Yeah, he's <laughs> no, got um, me now. Right, you can like watch the clip of the baseball leaving the ballpark, and you can see, you can tell if it's being fast forwarded, if it's being rewound, yes. because we can kind of see how it's progressing through time. So that's our ability to understand time. So if I'm understanding you correctly, time is the lens that we're using to understand the way that objects in our environment interact. And in, in, in unfold, right. Unfold. But again, it's almost like, how do you explain without using time? Like unfold how? Unfold through time. You know what I mean? It's like um, a oh, circular. There's a sequence of events, right? But, but, but sequ the concept of sequence, if you define sequence, time. <laughs> no, but that, that's because we're, we're basically, there's an, like when things happen, the order in which they take place that we can kind of like gauge that time exists through that. I get what you're it's almost like you ever play Taboo where you have to yeah. like guess. I love that's my favorite game where you yeah. have to like guess like say the word grass, but you can't say like mow, can't say lawn, can't say green. So what's interesting about time? Time is the only real currency we have. You know, it's it's limited, it's finite, it's relative, which we're going to talk a lot about. Sometimes it feels too slow, sometimes it feels too fast. It's impossible to capture, right? Like right now, if you take a moment to stare at the clock, 
It's 6.29 p.m. on, you know, what's today's date? February 23rd or whatever. That's what time it is right now. And just like that, guys, it's gone forever. 6.29 and 30 seconds, 6.29 and 45 seconds. Now it's 6.30. Never again will it be 6.29 and 45 seconds on February 23rd ever again. Same thing, you know, whatever time you're listening to this to, 1.30, 1.31. You cannot capture time, Jeremy. It's elusive. And so there are so many questions that this, you know, uh, that this uh, leads to about time. Is is there any objective? I guess this is the first question I have for you. Is there any objective view of time, or is it only subjective? If we could pause time, and and this is again very semantical, and step outside of it, right? Would we still see time, or do, does the subjectivity of time itself is that a necessary component of the concept? Well, I think that time is again like how we interpret the sequence of events. So, I I don't think that you can really step outside of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just like a concept that we've created to like explain why reality is the way it is. It's a concept we've created to explain why create. Okay, so when you say we create, so you're saying you're saying that humans created time. So did cavemen? And, 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 you know, we don't have to get too much into anthropology, but, like, did cavemen know about time? Like, before calendars. Calendars were created by the, by the Mayans. So, like, before then, we just had primitive humans in, like, the Neolithic era. Like, was there time? Did they know? I mean, they had, like, the sun. The sun rising and falling indicated that it was a new day. But did they know what a day was? Did they know, like, you know what in I mean? In their own primitive way, they did. And they, and they had, I'm sure they had, like, habits and routines that correlated to different times of day. Obviously, like, okay. sleeping when it's dark. And they kind of can tell when that's coming. I mean, whether or not they were consciously thinking, that's time, like, passing, you know? But then, I mean, the question becomes, do other beings have a sense of time? I mean, we talked about in episode five. I don't know if you've listened yet. But in episode yeah. five, AJ and I talked oh, about yeah. consciousness in dogs and cats and birds. And some of it might, you know... There might be the, the it might be necessary for animals to be conscious to have time, but like you have cats. Do you think your cats understand time going by? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not. We're not going to talk about like specifics experiments because we did that in episode five. I'm just saying, generally speaking, do you think your cat knows? Like, well, like I just wasted five minutes like sitting here waiting for my food, or like, oh, like it's been hours since like you know yeah, what I mean? Well, I mean, cats. I know that my cats come like around the food when I feed them. I mean, basically there's like a time every day when I feed them. There's a time every day. Yeah. What does that mean? Like at like 5 p.m. I'll give them dinner. But um, what I'm saying is do they know what 5 p.m. is? They do to some degree, whether or not they call it 5 p.m. So so, so you think language is one of the, the Things features. to discuss about. I mean, language is it's just like we're, we're coining a term that explains the phenomena of time. So would there even be time if we didn't have language? Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, like... It's just the fact that things are happening in a certain sequence and progressing forward. Right. And and that exists regardless if we talk about it or not. And and when you talk about the sequence and the forward movement, you know, what's interesting about time is that time only ever moves in one direction. It's one of the only like fat like variables, metrics that is asymmetrical. It's only forward moving. If you don't believe me, you know, try making an egg into an omelet and then go ahead and try to turn that omelet back into an egg. You know, you can't because time moves one way, right? We fear things in the future, things that have yet to come, but we don't fear things in the past that already happened. One of the most interesting things that, that I've observed, and this, I took a class, I, I didn't mention you, Metaphysics of Death in college, one of the most interesting experiences of my life. And one of, one of the takeaways from the class that I still think about to this day, we fear death. We fear the period of life after which we will no longer exist, but we do not fear prenatal non-existence, mm-hmm. the period before we were born when we do not exist. That doesn't make sense to me because in both scenarios, we didn't exist. So time forward moving. We only fear what's ahead. Why, you know, wh- why is that? How does any of this make sense? I, so I think that we, the, I mean, we're still around because we, the survival of the fittest, I mean, we have certain characteristics that made it so that we're still here um, after all these years. I think uh, thinking about the future is a way to preserve the human race. Right. Mm. As opposed to like you don't think about, the, you know, being born because that's not productive. Um, and then your comment about the egg, you know, creating the omelet again, that there actually is like from a physics perspective, there is a probability of that happening that you'll you'll crack an egg, it'll open and that it'll uncrack itself and go back in. It's just such a low probability that we never see it. And as a result, it isn't 
productive for us to think about that option because there's so many other things that are more pressing. Can you speak more about that probability? Um, if you want to like, you, you can even go like a little more in depth. There's a small probability of the egg turning, the omelet turning back into an egg? I think it has to do with entropy. And basic, so basically, um, chaos is inevitable. I mean, things like to unfold and become more disordered. And for the egg to reappear to an egg, you know, the yolk to come back in. I mean, that's just like, that's not very likely. And as a result, we don't think about that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like there's a probability of that happening. I mean, again, like the probability that the particles and, and all the positions of like the shell and everything will be such, you know, will be such that it, it returns to its its normal uncracked state that's just so low that it's it, we'll never see it. And I don't want to get too much into this, but um, I don't know too much about string theory, but is this similar to like, if you want to run through a wall, there's a probability Absolutely. that you'll be able to get through the wall. That's the same thing. That's yeah. the time entry. And, and actually when you do, if you, a part of you does go through the wall. I mean, the, that's Don't like, try this at home, folks. Yeah, right. But um, again, like for your entire body to pass through the wall at the same time is highly unlikely. Right. But if you had an electron, just one electron, it's, it would actually go through the wall. And the way it does that is actually borrows excess energy from the universe and repays it later. And that's a, con that's a concept that is further developed in string theory. Really? Yes. Shoot, yeah, interesting, this is interesting. Th yeah, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like that might be a, another conversation to have. But um, just, just like my, my like, the thing that, that kind of baffles me about time is, as I said, it's, it's elusive and you can't capture it. But also, the present moment doesn't exist. I'm sure you've thought about this. And Jeremy and I right. have, have these conversations. Like, literally, it's 3 a.m. and we're just sitting on the phone. It's like, dude, like, there's no, no such thing as the present. Because every – so there's the past and the future. Those, those things actually exist in science, in language, in psychology. The past is an hour ago and the future is an hour from now. But there's no present because the present is so dynamic and, like, evolving, right? Like, the present was now. And now it's now. And now it's now. And, like, and our, you can never yeah. sit down and capture the present. Right. And our ability to even think about now, we're already, as we talked about, like your brain makes decisions before you do. Mm. We're already in the future. I mean, it's hard to be exactly now. Like like right now when I'm saying the word the. Yeah. Like my, that wasn't in the moment because my brain had already come up with the decision to do that Like do you before ever, I actually executed it. Do you ever see like space balls? And then, Probably like decades in ago. that scene where it's like they're watching the tape it's like when was that that was then when was then then is now when does then become now soon that whole thing yeah. I'm butchering the, the dialogue but it's it's so impossible to capture the present so um, here's here's what I think Jeremy I think uh, and I think that what we should do one of our main goals as people is try to capture the present as much as possible one of my favorite quotes from Ferris Bueller is you know life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while you might miss it Right. Billy Joel also said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. So the question is, how can we, and I'm not talking about managing your time, I'm saying, how can we capture the present since it's, it doesn't exist? And I want to talk about, I have a couple like, like general uh, strategies, concepts, but what I think is important is the concept of reflection. And this is something that I've talked a lot about on Nervous Habits. You know, making sure you have time to think every day, put your phone away, you know, have distraction-free uh, time. Try going, leaving your house without your phone. I do that all the time at brunch last weekend, just left my phone at home. Sit in the dark with your eyes closed, meditate. This is when you know your thoughts will come to you and this is when you'll be able to really think through these deep issues because you know, like Ferris said, like Billy said, I mean, otherwise you're just gonna constantly be in this sh state of shifting to the future where you're never in the present. Maybe you're thinking about the past sometimes, but you're really always future-oriented. You're not present-minded. Does that does that sound like a good strategy I to you? I love that strategy. I mean, make the most of your life and enjoy it. I mean, yeah. if you're always thinking about what's to come, then you're not living and you're not living at all. I mean, you're just like, your mind is elsewhere. So that's the first The first uh, strategy is reflection. The other thing is mindfulness, which um, I think has gained a lot of traction in the popular culture. Mindfulness is the psychological practice of bringing yourself uh, to the present for physical sensory experiences. So, you know, going in the shower and feeling the water hitting your body, you know, smelling the steam open your pores, listening to the sound of, you know, the, the water running, really, really allowing your, your, um, you know, the interpretive analytical parts of your brain to go on autopilot to absorb the sensory experience. There's also mindful eating. Have you heard of that? Yeah, it's like tasting like, it, the feeling of it, exactly. Exa so you take a piece of chocolate, exactly. Sit in a room, turn off the lights, close your eyes. Dull all your senses. Dull all your senses and let it sit on your tongue, soak in the flavors, live in that moment. 
And it's really a great way to battle the passage of time by being mindful in whatever you're doing um, and not thinking with your brain, but like you said, allowing your senses to take control. Yeah. So that would be that would be like my second tactic would be reflection, mindfulness. And lastly, the third thing is writing. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, you want to kind of write down something you've learned every day, either, you know, keep a diary and write about your feelings or, you know, just kind of um, provide like commentary on, on, you know, what you did in a given day. I think that's important in order to capture that moment. Absolutely. Those yeah. are good techniques. So any any final thoughts on, you know, the the, the passage of time or how we can how we can capture the present? I like to talk a little bit about special relativity. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So, like, I'm gonna provide a warning to, to folks that if you don't hold a PhD, this might be above your. No. I, so, like, I also I don't understand. Again, Jeremy, Columbia University, electrical engineering. I don't have that background, so I'm gonna be, you know, trying to understand with you guys. But Jeremy, talk to our our listeners on what special relativity is and what it has to do with time. Yeah. So, um, Einstein brilliantly um, discovered the law of special relativity which basically explains that time is relative. So, um, I mean, just to give you like a precursor before getting into it, um, when we look at light from the sun, we're seeing light from eight seconds ago, right? So that means we're seeing the past. And that's like an interesting concept. I mean, when you see a star that's a trillion light years away, that means it took a trillion years for the light from that star to come to you, which means the star is not even there anymore. So that's kind of a lens into the past. And you know, it's a very exciting concept. But anyway, um, what Einstein showed is that the faster you're traveling through space, the slower time is for you. And there was actually a really interesting um, thought experiment. This hasn't really been proven yet because we can't travel that close to the speed of light. But if you were to take, it's called the Einstein twin paradox. So if you were to take two identical twins and leave one on Earth and send the other one in a rocket through space approaching mm -hmm. the speed of light and have them come back, you can actually calculate that one of them is actually older than the other. Mm. And that, that, like, that doesn't just mean from one's perspective they're older than the other. It means that everyone would, would agree which one is older. Their cells will have... I mean, if they were like like a teenager, then one of them wouldn't have gone through puberty yet. I mean, it's an actual thing that happens. And um, this law has been proven, and it's very useful on rocket ships, for example. Like, if you're traveling in space, how do you keep track of actual time? So... Um, it's really interesting stuff, and I mean, I this is something we would do like freshman year in physics classes. I mean, in relativity, um, one thing that's really interesting is, as I said, um, the faster you're actually moving through space, the slower time is going for you. So that means that um, if you have like if you're on like a ship that set course for north, and let's say north is time, and east, you know, is uh, is I'm saying north. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is, if you're going northeast, that means that part of your momentum is going through space. Part of your momentum is going through time. Mm -hmm. And basically, the faster you're going through space, the closer to the speed of light you're traveling, because you can never go faster than the speed of light. The slower you're progressing through the time. And what that means is that if I were to travel really fast, I it would, to me it would feel as though not much time went by. In reality, like hundreds or thousands of years will have gone by. Didn't that happen in, uh, you, you saw, what was that movie with McConaughey? Um, I don't know. The, uh, crap. Interstellar? Right, Interstellar. The, the same thing There's happened. There's some truth to that. Actually. I mean, I, amazing movie. That's I'm, absolutely I'm, By the right. way, you listen to the podcast. You know I, I do everything with movie references yeah. to bring it back. Right, but like absolutely. in the movie, uh, eight seconds had gone by or eight minutes on that one planet. But on Earth, like 30 years had gone by. Yeah. So And that was because of the distance... Uh, the distance from or the, uh, the speed the speed that they were moving the speed that they were moving in their in whatever environment they're in and what's really interesting is i used to think about this all the time but it turns out that if you to you it, like you can't live a lifetime and get really good at things and only age 10 minutes mm. because from your perspective it'll feel as though a lot of time has gone by i mean you can't slow down time and take advantage of it you mm -hmm. know but but what you can do is you can like travel to the future i mean you could go really fast and then like slow down and then be like 100 years in the future that's really interesting so cr that's like a super fat like crash course in special I, relativity I another, all, right, all right yeah yeah, yeah. Get, go ahead another really interesting thing i mean this is i don't want to get too into this but einstein based like another consequence of his theory is that time exists as like for example if loaf of bread is the entire universe like the all the time that ever existed and ever will exist and you were to take a knife and slice straight through the bread, at any given 
slice that represents the entire reality in that one moment. So if you're traveling quickly and you slice the bread at an angle, then you actually have a different interpretation of how reality is unfolding. And this gets into like like the different multiverse questions that people say where, Shoot. yeah, I mean, it's a complicated stuff, but basically um, people can have different realities and like different understandings of what's actually happening, have different perspectives. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's <laughs> that might be like another shoot that yeah. we can do like a whole episode on like multiple universes and like the singular universe. Um, but that's I, I think that's like that's really interesting just to kind of kind of like think about how we're interpreting time and I, the twin paradox in particular. That's it's like, really interesting. That's yeah, that, that's crazy stuff. So just kind of, you know, put a bow on the conversation about time. Um, definitely important to note, you know, the the subjectivity of it, um, whether or not it's it's something that. Uh, is objectively taking place or relies on our interpretation in order to measure it, um, the importance of finding the right language to describe it, and you know the, the elusiveness of the present, how we can't really capture you know what, what we're doing in any given moment. Um, one last question, uh, it, it, maybe like 10 words or less. Do you think time travel is something that, that will become possible in our, <laughs> in our lifetimes? In our lifetimes, no. I think that the energy required to produce such speeds is like we, we won't be able to do that. I mean, that's insane. But to think what's about. really interesting, what's really insane, is like we, we're like uh, like you take an electron and there's there's something called the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah, it's a particle accelerator. I just read about that this morning. Okay, yeah. I've never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so if you take like a particle, so I mean the way we learn about what particles exist or is that we like take two particles, we we make them go like close to the speed of light because it's easy to do that when the particle is so light and small, and we collide them. And whatever breaks out of it, you can kind of like see what, what it's made of. Mm. So um, when, you, when you take an electron and you have it traveling towards the speed of light, from that electron's perspective, like it's like traveling in time, which is really interesting. Even with light. I mean, light travels at the speed of light when mm. there's, you know, through like a vacuum. And, and that must mean that the photon, which is the particle of light, is actually still in time. So from the photon's perspective, it's not aging. It's staying frozen in time. That's also interesting what you what you said earlier about how the light from the sun is eight seconds old. You could also say the same thing about visual stimuli, like me looking at you right now, the stimuli that's that's uh, being transduced into neural um, like impulses through my brain, it's all old. Like I'm seeing an image of you that's already taken place, like after the fact. Right. So again, you know, the takeaway here is there is no such thing as a present. It's impossible to capture. Um, but okay, I do want to, you, you know, I, I want to have uh, an abbreviated discussion finally about the best life. Um, I, Jeremy, you know, is going to lead this discussion, but uh, I, I do want to, you know, kind of ask the question, is the nine to, to five lifestyle the way to go? Is there an alternative? Um, so Jeremy, you know, what would you have to say to our listeners about that, that idea? You know, that's a great question and one that I've been like pondering for years. I mean, I, I was really bothered by the idea of trading time for money because as we mentioned, we're talking about time. I mean, time is the most valuable currency. Um, and then there's ways to not trade your time for money. So nine to five is your classic way of trading time for money. You clock in, you sit there, you get a paycheck. And then there's, you know, there's a book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Which Tim, I mentioned on, I think, last episode. Yeah, where, where Tim Ferriss discusses. I mean, this is actually what got me into all this research. But he discusses other ways to make money without trading your time and he talks about remote jobs and being on a boat and like traveling while owning a business and letting other people work for you and you're making money on the profits so owning a business or um you know there's like you know, a lot of like automated online type of stuff where you can sell products that are you can be the middleman i mean that's like another way to do it right. so um so i i am not a subscriber to the nine to five i think that um, there's a lot of wasted time and, and, and then in reality you can like make a living and, and pursue all your hobbies and dreams and be happy. Right. Um, and I've tried a lot of different stuff. I mean, I, you can, I like hosted a class and I like paid some kid a hundred dollars to teach it and I charged $40 a head. I mean, that's not, there's all these ways to make money. The, the thing that I do want to say is that time you know, once you have like your source of passive income, they call it, I mean, real estate's a source of passive income where you're just making money when on rent, you know, when people are paying rent. But once you have your source of passive income and you're like, oh, great, I have all this time, you actually need to find a way to fill the time in a fulfilling way mm -hmm. or else it feels like, I mean, time, like life is short, but it's not that short. You need to feel like you're, there's certain innate human 
you know things that we strive for, right? Like 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 uh, growth and expertise, and I think all these things need to go into you know what makes the the best life, the most fulfilling life. And I want to I want to supplement what Jeremy's saying real quick. There's something in the book called the Pareto Principle. And it, it's the idea that when you're working a nine to five job, 80% of the work is done 20% of the day. So if you guys are out there, you're working in, in an office, you know, let's say, you know, you work for like an hour or two and then you take a break, five minute break here, 10 minute break here, you get lunch, you get coffee, 80% of the work is done 20% of the time. So to Jeremy's point, not only are you going to live a better life, but you can be more efficient that way too. And this Absolutely. is something Tim Ferriss explores in the four hour work week. Like you said, automating, you know, uh, what was it? Arbitrage, um, having virtual help. There's all these different avenues. Absolutely. But the question I want to ask you is how, how do you think about the best life? Like there's, it, it, it's, there's so many different ways to consider that. Like, is it the best life to be minimizing the amount of time you spend on what we call a cubicle farm? That's, that's something that, that, yeah, that Jeremy the, said. Is, is that the best life? Is the best life with your friends? Is the best life traveling? There are so question. many different angles to, you know, to pursue that. What do you think? I think that what I do to answer that, I mean, it's different for every person. I would literally sit down with a pencil and paper and I'd write out the things that make me happy. And I and I try to understand like how many hours a day or what type of time I want to commit to each of them, and I, I'd like plan out a few years ahead. I mean, tr you say, "Oh, I want to travel," but then you do a year of traveling and you're sick of it. I mean, so you gotta really plan ahead. But you can basically find out what makes you happy, what makes you feel most fulfilled, and how can you like dose that out to have the best life. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a good like exercise. I think everyone should actually do that. So I want to mention, I, I don't know if we had planned to mention this, but I want to mention the Pathfinder because right. I think that's, that's pretty interesting. So when I was 25, I had a, a quarter-life crisis, and Jeremy was a big influence on me. I was working a 9 to 5 at the mayor's office, and every day I would talk to Jeremy on the phone, and Jeremy you know, was playing soccer and doing all these exciting things, and he's just like, dude, like, you know, how happy are you at your job? You know, how, um, are, you, are you living your best life? You, you know the question that people are always asking. And I was like, no, you know, I'm not. I feel like there's a lot I could do, be doing with my time. And Jeremy kind of, you know, like nudged me towards, um, you know, taking a plunge, you know, exploring a career in acting and, and doing all this this different stuff that I hadn't considered. And he recommended a book called The Pathfinder. Do you want do you want to speak about that real quick? Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's interesting that you mentioned that. During that time, I was uh, I was living in Scranton. I was playing soccer for a team full time, and. Um, I had this like huge chunk of time during the day where I was feeling really unfulfilled. And I, I ended up working through this book called The Pathfinder, which basically explains that 95% of people in their, in their job aren't like living their dream job. They aren't the happiest they can be. And they just kind of settle. They're apathetic. Right. And, um, and like it, it, it discusses like how to come across types of jobs or things within jobs that make you excited to get out of bed and go to work. And... Um, that's really important. I mean, I think like you got to have motivation to get up in the morning. So the Pathfinder was, um, and, and it's a book by Nicholas Lohr, The Pathfinder, How to Choose or Change Your Career for a Lifetime of Satisfaction and Success. The Pathfinder is an interactive book. So they have you do all these exercises. If you remember, you have like four Microsoft Word documents. And each document, one document says like list all of your dream jobs. One document says list all of the, the questions you have for your job. Like do you prefer a big city or a small city? You know, an office or a cubicle? Um, social or isolated? You know, teams or, or individual? And then as you go through the book, you're answering different questions and eliminating different jobs. And some of the activities they have you do are really telling. My favorite is the spiral, where they have you literally draw a spiral out. And what you do is you draw a dot at the present. Again, you know, we can't capture the present, but for the purposes of this experiment, we could. A dot at the present, so it's 2019, you know, we're, we're both 26. And Everything before would be all the major life events. So like your bar mitzvah, like Judaism, like two Jews yeah. here, bar mitzvah, like graduating college, your first girlfriend, your first job, whatever. And then you project into the future. You know, do you want to write a book? You know, I'm going to write a book when I'm 32. I'm going to, you know, go to law school, graduate from law school when I'm 20, you know, 29. I'm going to get married at 31. Whatever it might be, you project it out into the future. And it's not only a good way of setting goals for yourself, but it's also a good way of kind of visualizing what you want for the future. Because, you know, you hear all about um what are those boards vision boards that women have where they like cut out stuff or magazines like this is what i want my life to look like it's like kind of a vision board you look at the spiral and you're like wow i have all this stuff i want to achieve and this is how i do it so that for me that was one of the the better exercises yeah. also do you remember that the parts party yeah i was gonna say yeah that. you're gonna right, go ahead i'll let you I'll let, I'll let you say that that's my favorite thing yeah when, when making a decision you got to consult all different 
like elements of who you are as a person. So let's say that you're like, there's a part of you that's an intellectual and you like to think. There's a part of you that's a jock. There's a part of you that's a clown, like goofy. So what you do is you you uh, you set out some time, like an hour, and you you sit in a dark room and you just kind of like get in this state where you imagine that you're holding a, a meeting. And, 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 the, and at this table, you're sitting at the head of the table, are, that the whole table is all different parts of you. You almost give them personalities. You say, there's the class clown who's making jokes all the time. And basically, when you're trying to make a tough decision, you, you have them all hash it out. They all kind of discuss it. They're arguing their, their, you know, their point. And then um, you can come up with conclusions that satisfy or kind of compromise for all different parts of who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good way to, to feel like all of you is happy with a certain decision. And and again, it comes down to what we talked about with setting time to reflect. Like Jeremy said, being in a dark room, closing your eyes, no distractions, and visualizing a meeting where you have 12 different different Jeremys, 12 different Rickies kind of hashing out the problem, as you said. Uh, the Pathfinder, really incredible book, has all these different activities and helps you kind of suss out what's your best life, what are you looking for. I'm going to put both the Pathfinder and the 4-Hour Workweek in the, the details on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. But, you know, just to kind of round out this discussion, I don't think you need to be out there quitting your jobs. I don't want that to be the takeaway. Like, oh, like Jeremy and Ricky said, like, you know, we have yeah. to like, we have to quit our jobs and play soccer. and like, what happened to Ricky. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like, immediately. Like, yeah. I got cut from the soccer team immediately. No, but like, you don't necessarily have to do that. But I think it is important important to kind of understand you know are you happy with what you're doing like it's never too late to have a career change and can your life different. be better can, exactly can your life be better um and are you living the best life because we talked about fate you know kind of like bringing everything together we talked about free will you know you don't have to be at this job you know graphic design or social media you know burning the midnight oil every day like there's you have the choice to to do something better to you know say say fuck it right especially if you're young a lot of our listeners are in their 20s you know you have 50 60 years of working uh at the cubicle farm 60 years and yeah right and um and i don't know like that what really stuck with me was when we had that conversation and you were like you know like everyone spends their life on a cubicle farm like you talked about your uncle that's scary to think about. i mean it's what the most morbid description of a cubicle farm is this is what i painted in ricky's head that made him quit (laughs) but i mean it's i I don't want to like you know, dissuade any of you guys from working, but you know, you wake up in the morning, the sun comes out, it's a beautiful day, and you you go into work and you sit at this cubicle farm where it's just like a bunch of cubicles, and you you work, and then you you leave and go home, and the sun has already set, and you eat dinner, and then you go to bed and do it all over again, and then you die. And why? Like, you know, then you die. Then like you then. die. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, but we shouldn't fear it because time is asymmetrical, yeah, and like we, we should fear prenatal non-existence. But but. Why though? Like why? To make money? To subsist? You know, and a lot of people, right, that's a great question. And you know, a lot of people say, I want to retire young. And that frustrates me because, I mean, first of all, that's like you shouldn't like live for the future because then you're wasting you know, valuable years of your life. And what if you just die? I mean, And that's what Tim Ferriss says in the book, The 4-Hour Work Week. He talks about mini retirements. Yeah. He says like, why wait until you're 65 to like go on vacation to see the world? Why not just, you know, every year or two take like a month and, you know, travel through Europe or, or see South America or go on a safari? Um, and I think there's some credence to that. Yeah, I mean, and when you're 65, you're you're tired. You're Old. not interested, right? You're, I mean, you're, you're not gonna have the energy to do all the things you can do in your 20s. Um, It'll be a different experience. So yeah, I think I think you know the the takeaway here really needs to be kind of reflect, ask yourself, are you living your best life, and um, and is nine to five the way to go? I mean, I'm I've I've gone back and forth nine to five, not nine to five, nine, but but I will say, Jeremy, just to make sure we're giving our listeners a balanced discussion, there are downsides to to foregoing absolutely. the nine to five, like like you've had some challenges, right? Yeah, like absolutely. not like being an athlete, you know, like not pursuing that route. It's it's been tough at times. Yeah, I mean, like feeling like you're doing the most with your life like you if you don't have a structured job it's hard for some people to get out of bed mm-hmm. or to not just waste the whole day watching tv i mean that's the the crux of it i mean the job gives you the structure exactly to like organize your life around it what so that's a positive to it like i'll say like i was i was unemployed at you know i, I was acting and doing comedy and part-time jobs but like as you said it's tough to motivate yourself to, to get out, to get up, and then how are you gonna socialize? All your friends are at, at work. At work. Right? Like I remember Jeremy, it's like, when are you out? Like uh, back when you lived in New York, he's in Boston now. It's like, are you out? Like it's like Jeremy, it's like one o'clock. He's like five more hours. Yeah. So that's that's a struggle. I mean, whenever you you know go, when you don't take the path that's traveled, um, when you form your own path and you non-conform, you gotta deal. And we talk. I mean, Jeremy and I talk about this literally every day. 
um, it's tr- it's tough because no one else is doing what you're doing. Everyone's yeah. working the nine to five, and you're alone. And you, and, and you feel like people are rooting for you to fail because it's so different than what they do, and they and they kind of want to defend what they do. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot going against you, but for for people who have the motivation and the structure, it could be really fulfilling. Absolutely. Um, so it's been it's been an enriching discussion. We're we're just under an hour here. Um, just want to you know summarize, make sure we got all the points here. Uh, we talked a lot about free will and the biological determinism, um, the different factors that indicate that it's you know it may not be the case that our decisions are our own. We talked about fate in a religious context, a little bit of astrology weaved in, um, as well as time forward moving, um, how we can't capture the present, and ways to really uh, do our best to live in the moment, be mindful, reflect, right, and finally you know Jeremy talked a lot. About about uh, living the best life, um, exploring alternatives, and really asking yourself if there's a better way to to be happy. Um, any any last takeaways, Jeremy, from the conversation we had today? Mm, I mean, I think we did well. I'd like to emphasize the time to reflect. You know, that's really important. It's almost like a job interview at the end. Where it's like anything to add? Yeah, like right? shit. Like I always get. Yeah, I, know, I, always, I, I, uh, I, yeah. I know it's funny because like because then I'll be like, well, just you know, hire me. Like please, like, it's in, like indicate. What I'm can nice. I say that like makes you like me more? Yeah, yeah. like, like I'll, I'll do anything for this job. Uh, so guys, uh, next week, we'll, you know, we're gonna have a, an exciting conversation. We're gonna look at uh, the science of FOMO. Why why do we really think we're missing out? And are we caffeine? How it's essential to a healthy life, and why you literally cannot get enough of it. And finally, politics. Should you give a shit what's happening in Washington, D.C.? Jeremy, this has been a, a really informative and entertaining and fun discussion here on Nervous Habits. Uh, it's actually funny that the podcast is called Nervous Habits. You're the second most nervous person I know yeah, next to myself. Yeah. He's been twitching uncontrollably next yeah. to me. Um, how was it being on the podcast? It was great. It was everything I could have hoped Everything like, he'll, he'll be back, folks. Um, so send in those emails, nervousHabitsPodcast at gmail.com, nervousHabitsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, message me on Instagram at nervousHabitsPodcast. Um, and keep listening, guys. You know, this is episode nine. Next week, we're going to do an episode 10. Um, and stay nervous out there. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys.